You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. Welcome to a new season of Connecting the Dots. And for this season, we're going to be talking about a question that I have progressively come to see is really, really important. In fact, uh, it's so important, I'm, I'm really looking forward to walking through this with all of us and looking at the question, why the church? I don't know where you stand on that issue, but as I've talked with people repeatedly over the past couple months, it's echoed what I've heard for years. I, I just don't understand why the church is needed. I understand it intellectually, but I don't understand it in real lived experience. Jesus loves me. I love him. I want to go to heaven when I die. So do I really need to be a part of this body that seems to have so many problems and so many issues to it. Those who take data on the church and look into this, like the Barna Group or the Malfers Group, what they've found is that in the last 20 years, we've moved from about 30% of those who claim to be Christians to almost 50% that now have little to no connection to the local church. That's a big jump. And when 50% of us, half of us say, hey, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And that's basically saying, why is the church necessary in this process? And and when they're probed a little bit further, their response is, the the only reason I see for the church is for the sermon. 75% of us say that's the most important thing that the church has to do in all that it does. About half of us say it's, it's just a really important place for us to do social good within our community or within our world. And also it's it's beneficial for social activities. It accomplishes it in ways that other things don't work as well. And so that's why we need it. But then you have results of people who are questioned about why they are or aren't a part of the church. And for those who aren't, what they've told these researchers is that it just doesn't provide the benefit worth the commitment. I put so much time, so much effort, and I just don't get anything out of it. Or I've just moved. I've changed. It does not fit my beliefs. And that's a common answer that we hear for those that are no longer a part of the church or don't see it as something they need to be a part of. It's hurt me and or others I love. I'm just too busy in this point of my life. There's no significant place for me to really get in and serve is another one that comes up. And one of the last ones is that the leadership has no significant care for me or other people that I love. That's why in the last 20 years, the Barna Group coined the phrase, the nuns. And what my interaction would say is that many of those are not nuns, they're duns. They've been a part of the church. They've seen it from the inside out. They have been through this entire thing And they just don't want it anymore. They don't see any value. Throughout scripture, it says the church is super, super important to God. It's super important to his plans for us. And so if we say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to jettison the church aspect, but I can just have my relationship with Jesus. 
it doesn't seem to square very well because the church is the means by which Paul says that we get to know God. That's what theology is. We get to know the one who made us and and designed us for purposes that are beyond our comprehension. And I want to connect these dots that Paul lays out for us specifically in one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. We'll be walking from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 6, unpacking it slowly, looking at some of the Greek words, some of the cultural concepts back behind it, and hopefully helping many of us to see the church in a way that we have never seen it before and see it in a way that Paul says, if you can view the church like this, not only will it change your mind, it will blow your mind and it will blow your experience of what God has to offer and what he's all about apart in such a good way that it will transform us. It won't just transform you, it will transform his people. To do that, I think we need just a little bit of background on the book of Ephesians and whom Paul is writing to uh, when he sends this letter. He ends up there in the early 50s when he's traveling through after Corinth, and he lands there in Ephesus, and he makes an introduction into the synagogue. That's the place, if you go back to Acts chapter 18 through about 20, Um, Paul regularly does his work first in the synagogues. Why? Because the Jews are looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the Christ. And so they literally are one step away. He doesn't have to explain the whole backstory. All he has to say is, all the stuff you've been waiting and longing for, it's Jesus. If they accept it, then they have the bulk of Christianity all put together. There's going to be, at that point, some minor changes that end up proving to be major transitions that the church really wrestles through. But this this concept that Jesus is the fulfillment is, is the perfect starting point. So he starts there and then eventually begins to expand it. And not just Paul... But he sees Priscilla and Aquila and also eventually Apollos, who come to support this church in its growth. And what Paul is going to do is pour himself into these churches. And the reason why I say churches is because in the early days, they didn't have one large structure. They had courtyards that were large enough to hold groups of about 50 to 150 people. So the average size of the early church was actually the average size of today's church, which is about 100 people. Churches would scatter throughout a given area in Ephesus with a city of about 250,000, which was just absolutely huge within the ancient cultures. This center of just industry would have quite a few of these houses. And and some of the people didn't want to be in the city center, so they'd spread out, and they'd also see, hey, my, my business actually works better in Pergamum, so I'm going to move there. And because they've housed the church, the church would expand in that direction, and it would go with them. Though they considered themselves to be meeting individually in these places, They considered themselves as one body, one church with many members. And this is going to be important as we delve into Paul's explanation of how the church is supposed to work. 
What's unique, though, about the church in Ephesus is that they have Pauline authority who has guided and directed them literally for years by the time he writes the book of Ephesians. He writes it to them while he's in prison in Rome because after his last time in Ephesus, he goes back to Jerusalem. He's captured by the Jews who get him in trouble with the Romans, and he's sent all the way to Rome to stand trial there. He writes what are known as the prison epistles during this time. And in these prison epistles, he sees it as his responsibility to lay out what is the church. If you guys are going to continue this, you may not have me around anymore, is essentially at the core of Paul's thought. And so he wants to provide some directed instruction that gets at some of the key elements. In the book to the Philippians, he's going to encourage them to find joy in their trials. To the Colossians, he's going to write some things that are very similar to what he's going to write to the Ephesians because they're a nearby next-door neighbor church. He's also going to send the book of Philemon in that process, and we'll end up making some connections between those last two books in particular that help us to understand the book of Ephesians even more fully. What Paul wants to do, though, is he wants to speak directly to their culture. And by speaking directly to their culture, he can now speak through their culture. And the things that are going to be very key for Paul is just that this community, although started with Jews, it's going to include primarily Gentiles. And a Gentile population that is used to a very pagan form of worship. Within the city of Ephesus, there was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the temple to Artemis. This temple was so profound and so awesome that people would come all over the world to be able to worship there. Now, within the ancient world, they didn't consider worship to one god as wise. What they considered to be good worship was to look at all the different gods who had helped people at different points and to include multitudes of gods because the more gods you could please, then the more you could be aided. So Ephesian paganism was not just a worship to Artemis. It was a worship to all of the gods of the ancient world under the headship, in a sense, of Artemis, also known as Diana with Latin and Roman mythology. This god of war was seen to be a divine figurehead that if under her headship the gods were worshipped, then the city of Ephesus would be blessed. And this apparently was the case because outside of Rome, it was the second most well-to-do city in the Roman Empire. So when these pagans come to faith in Jesus, in a lot of ways, they're giving up a lot. They're giving up their financial security. They're giving up the relationships that come through temple worship. They're giving up the pleasing of the multitude of gods who will watch over them. And they're putting all of their faith in one man. Now, they may have believed in Jesus Christ and made that connection as the God-man because there were other God-man figures like Achilles in the ancient world. They would fight for humanity, but they were 
imbued by the power of the gods. But to put all your faith in this one person was beyond anything in the ancient world. The closest that it would come to would it would be to emperor worship, that the emperor was somehow imbued by the power of the gods, and that is how they were bringing blessing to the entire empire. That is why emperor worship throughout the ancient Roman Empire was a common practice. But still, there's going to be a huge transition for many of these Gentile believers that have stepped into this faith. Also, what they're used to is they're used to manipulating the gods. They're used to, I do this, you do this for me. I don't do this, then you have every right to punish me. And Paul needs to help them understand the character of God. And this is why I said earlier that the church is the means by which we understand theology. It's how we understand who God really is. And he wants them to stay united to this church in a way that they can see and understand God in a way they've never understood the gods before. And this is going to be a major part of what he has to talk about. Finally, there's going to be a natural tension. If you bring Gentiles and Jews together, the Jews would not interact with them. In fact, one of their favorite prayers in the ancient world was, God, thank you for not making me a woman. Thank you for not making me a dog. And like all Jewish idioms, whatever's the third is the worst in the whole sequence. Thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile. They despised them. They saw them as filth. They had lots of special derogatory terms for them, and Paul's going to bring that up in his letter. Paul, though, says this is exactly what God wanted. He longed for this moment to make the two one. And he's going to build that concept throughout the book of Ephesians. He's going to, for two wildly different people who have two wildly different views of who God is and who have two wildly different views of how many gods there are and how to please them, he is going to lay down some of the best instruction to explain to both groups why. Why the church? Why is this God's plan? And if it is, how can we become such a deep part of this movement that it transforms us and it transforms our church communities and it transforms this world in a way that will never be the same? Paul has great grand visions because he says, this is what God has. I'm not making anything up. I'm just passing on what God passed on to me. He loves the church, and he gave himself up for the church. And you have to understand why it is so important. I hope that that lays enough of a foundation that it intrigues you, and it brings you to a place that you want to explore more of this question. Why the church? If so, stay with us, and I'll help us hopefully connect the dots throughout the book of Ephesians to really have a deep answer for why God loves the church and gave himself for it and desires it more than anything else in this world. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.